0: good morning everybody and welcome to this episode of 30 minutes to president's club where we give you no nonsense sales no history books no academic theory only actionable sales tips in every single episode my name is armand frock and i'm joined here with nick Sigelski. how we doing my man i'm doing good armand i am really excited to get into this conversation Absolutely. Today, we're joined by Joe Caprio. He was a VP of sales over at Insight Squared, then a VP of sales over at Chorus.ai. I was actually a customer of Joe's at Chorus, and he was a hell of a salesperson. He kept us really happy. And then most recently, he became a co-founder over at Reprise. Nick, why the heck should people listen to this episode?
1: Well, the folks who actually stick around and listen to Joe here are going to pull out about 47 different actionable things that they can go and use today. Some of the big ones for me, Joe talked about why building rapport at the beginning of your sales meeting or sales cycle is actually not your number one focus and should not be. He also gave some really effective strategies for managing a deal when you have three, four, five different functional groups involved and how to keep yourself from getting stuck just talking to one person, which is how a lot of deals die. And then he also gave a really interesting quip about why getting your prospect to agree to the agenda at the beginning of a discovery call has to be your number one focus. I'm excited, man. We should get right into this thing.
0: He gave us a ton of actionable takeaways. So let's get right into it. Three, two, one, roll the tape.
1: Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way, your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes.
0: Gong's going to help you run the five minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, Pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90 Minute Masterclass. And you can steal
1: it too in the show notes. Joe, we're excited to have you on the podcast today. We're going to talk a little bit about who you are, what you're about in a second, but we start every single episode with three actionable tips that listeners can actually take and implement today. So let's get into your three.
2: Awesome. Sounds great. My first actionable tip for sellers is that you have to give good meeting. And what I mean by that is your buyer is busy and they're back to back and they expect to be led when they show up. So have the agenda, have the recap of everything that's happened so far and have a plan and an intended outcome for this meeting and just lead with it. Do not waste the first five minutes on bonding and rapport. There's no better way to bond with your customer than by showing that you respect them and their time. So give good meeting.
1: Love it. We're going to have to dig into that more. What's number two?
2: Okay. Know your sale. In onboarding, you are taught who your target buyer is, what your target ICP is, what the pain points are, what the objections are. You understand who needs to be involved in a sale, what a sales process typically looks like. That's not just for sport, they teach you that so you can guide future prospects through your process. And so give a good meeting is the first tip. The second tip is to know your sale. And so if you don't know front and back how your sales motion works, go back and find out so you can be a better guide.
1: What's number three, round us out. All right, we're going in
2: order here. If your goal is to give a good meeting and the way you do that is by knowing how your sale works, the third tip is to be intentional with what you do in those meetings. So I always know who my target buyer group is, and I go before the call starts, I find those humans' names, and then throughout the meeting, I name drop those people and explain how they will become involved in this project throughout, so that by the end of my meeting, it's a ready-made, multi-threading next step. So give good meeting, know how your sale works, and then be intentional in your meetings to guide your prospects through your sale.
1: So you've got a checklist before you're running into a meeting with the CFO. You've talked to one other person at the company. What's on that checklist? What are you doing? I like the idea of going on LinkedIn. What are you looking for? Like, give me some of the details around that. So Nick,
2: you're almost getting into like the three by three or like a pre-call prep that you're supposed to do. I'm actually talking about every meeting, every meeting that you have with a prospect. It's not just the first call. It's not just like you do your homework before the first interaction. Sure. I'm talking about every single interaction you have with a prospect you're responsible for shepherding them through the process. And so if you're in meeting four, like your example, with a CFO, I would expect you to show up and say, you know, Mr. and Mrs. CFO, we've had this many meetings with your team so far. This is the topic that we've been talking about. This is what they've shared with me so far. This is where the project sits. And this 30-minute interaction that we're going to have right now is specifically to accomplish item one, two, and three. And that's what I mean by giving a good meeting is recapping, stating the business case, explaining where the project sits, and then giving a very specific goal for this one interaction. That's what I mean by being in control of giving a good meeting.
0: And Joe, what I'm curious to hear is a little bit of the contrarian side of things. I think a lot of people have the vision of a great salesperson in their mind, someone who's charismatic, good looking, they can schmooze you, and they get in and they, they shoot the shit with you for 10 minutes. And so, one of the things we'll talk about a little bit later is like talking to prospects like they're real. Why don't you jump into the conversation and start building some rapport with the folks like a lot of other sales reps would do?
2: Armand, I couldn't agree with you more. Bonding and rapport, right? Everyone taught you bonding and rapport all the way back from Sandler, which was written in the 50s. Bonding and rapport, spend the first five minutes kind of warming up with people. And it's like, hey, your mom's a mom. My mom's a mom too. Like, we should totally do business together. And like, that's absolute garbage. I live off a Google Calendar like most people that you'll sell to today. And so I wake up and I'm like, cool, I have somewhere between five and 10 back-to-back 30 or 60-minute meetings today. And as soon as this meeting's over, I'm walking into another meeting. And so in my opinion, the best way you could earn points with me is by not wasting my time, right? I'm walking into this meeting after three consecutive back-to-back meetings. I do not remember why I'm here. I don't remember what my employees shared with you on previous interactions. Like, I don't know. And so if you want to win points with me, make good use of my time. And the way you do that is by making sure that I know why I'm here, what's required of me, what's on the agenda. That's bonding and rapport. I don't care that both of our kids play Little League. I don't care. I care that you respect me and you respect my time. That's bonding and rapport.
1: I don't think I could stand another conversation with somebody about like, so how you holding up? you washing your hands like, it's raining down there. So that kind of goes to your tip number two, right? You were talking about knowing the process, knowing where this sale is supposed to go. And I've always been taught that's almost attached to the giving the really good meeting where you want to get it out in the beginning. Like, Hey, here's where we've been. Here's where we are. Here's where we're going. And it's your job as the salesperson to shepherd them to where they're going. Can you talk a little bit about how you do that? Like, what do you do when you run into like, it's not super smooth sailing with your good meeting? Yeah, yeah. Nick, it's nuanced, isn't it? It's like
2: an amateur salesperson or a salesperson that hasn't really figured out how to do this well might ask a question like, hey, Nick, who else has to be involved in a decision like this? And really what that sounds like to the prospect is like, who's your boss? Because I don't believe you have any power. And it's offensive, it's insulting, and it it forces people to kind of put a a block up on you. But you know who has to be involved in your sale because your company has closed deals before. And so you can look at the signer, you can look at the attendees of those meetings, and you could identify what roles do have to be involved. And then you could ask yourself why. So I used to sell a BI product. I used to sell a reporting software and it reported on the sales team's performance. And so I would never try to sell that product without talking to the leader of the sales team, because I'm going to report on their performance. And so I need to talk to them. I could also never sell that product without meeting with RevOps, because it connected to Salesforce. And RevOps typically approves API connections to the CRM. And so I knew I needed both of those people. And I had a reason why I needed both of those people. And so before the meeting, I'd find your head of sales's name, and I'd find your head of sales ops's name. And whichever one of those people I were meeting with, I'd say, hey, Nick, I bet when Armand hears about this, he'll have an opinion. Or if I'm meeting with Armand, I'd say, hey, have you talked to Nick about this yet? And just being proactive about knowing those humans and saying their names, it helps the prospect self-realize, oh, i better go get more people involved versus feeling like they were disrespected when the salesperson's like, who's your boss and who signs the checks there? It's just about knowing the motion so you can proactively embed it into the conversation you're having versus just waiting until the last minute and saying, hey, can your boss come next week too?
1: You're making me laugh when you're like, will Armand have an opinion on this? And I'm like, yeah, he will, even if he's like five steps removed. (laughs) I'll
0: jump into it. I'll absolutely jump (laughs) into it. But Joe, I think you're totally on point, man. I, I was in a sales cycle myself where I was buying software and I remember, it wasn't a very large enterprise sale. It was relatively small, it was only in the sales space. And so it was me as, as the director of sales. And the only person above me is the VP of sales. And then it's the CEO. The girl who was the sales rep says, I mean, have you talked to Jeff about this? And then I was like, a little bit thrown aback by it. But I was like, she just said it so casually. And that happened to be the name of my VP of sales. And she did a couple of things throughout the sales cycle where she just went that little extra mile to profile me, knew where I went to school, knew what my position was when I got promoted. And all those little things start to do perception management in the sales cycle.
2: I love that term, Armand, perception management. There
1: we go. Only person who could ever get on Armand's good side. (laughs) Bring her on. Great.
0: That's the move. I'm
1: sorry. I'm ripping on you. That's okay. That's
0: okay. I'll come back later.
1: I mean Nick to be honest it's
2: it's actually in my opinion it's less about I'll call it hand-to-hand combat like what words should you use what should you say or not say it's actually less about that and it's more about just being intentional with your motions and so a great example is I'll actually have a slide that I share that has the agenda and what's on that slide so Doug Landis was an advisor of mine he's, he's been a really really wonderful mentor of mine over the last 2 years he's the operating advisor at Emergence Capital And so I had weekly meetings with Doug while I ran the sales team at Chorus. And he talks about PPO, purpose, plan and outcome. And it's three simple things that you wanna put out there at the beginning of a meeting. And so in this example, I will literally start a meeting with PPO up on the screen. And it's the purpose of this call is, the plan, like five minute increments of this call is, and the outcome at the end of this meeting is we'll stop five minutes early and talk about whether or not we wanna do X. And so the scenario itself doesn't really matter, and the audience doesn't really matter. What matters is when you load that PPO slide, you're not just rattling it off for the sake of like doing the agenda. You're getting commitment and confirmation along the way that this is how we'll spend our time, and this is the decision that we'll make at the end of this meeting. And so if you do that properly, and it's not just checking a box of I set the agenda, because you've heard that. You've heard people check the box. Let's have a conversation and then end, Like, no, no, no. I literally mean we're going to spend five minutes on this, 10 minutes on this, and then we're going to stop five minutes early to decide if we have that big call with your whole team or not.
1: Can we talk about that right there, the stopping the five minutes early? Because this is something that has killed me as a seller and I know kills other people, where, oh, shoot, it's the top of the hour. You're talking about these back-to-backs, Joe. You got to get on a super important call now, And I'm here like, wait, wait, when should we talk? You got your calendar in front of you? And you're like, dude, I'm about to get on a call with like, like the board. Like, I don't have time for this. Because that sounds like it's pretty intentional right there. Stopping five minutes early.
2: I unmute my iPhone and I set an alarm and it goes off and it's really jarring. It's really, really jarring. I go, oh, oh, hey, hey, folks, like I, I have another meeting to get to at the top of the hour. Like I have to physically get there. So let's stop. We have 10 minutes left. In the beginning, we said we would decide if next step comes next, right? Let's now have that conversation now. And so I literally set an alarm to make sure I end my meetings on time. And what I see a lot of salespeople do is the opposite. They think it's going well. We're finally riffing. We're finally giving some give and take here. And I'm going to answer your questions and your objections right up till the final bell and then book you over email for the next step where it's crazy because You don't think about it. When the conversation's going well, and it's give and take like that, and you feel like you're in a rhythm, it's the best time to stop. Because they're leaning in and they want more from you, and it makes total sense to schedule a bigger, broader conversation versus trying to cram everything in just because the rhythm is there. And it doesn't mean you're evil or wrong or manipulative, it just means you're intentional with your emotions. You've thought about it before you do it. It means you're a professional.
0: So Joe, on that note, oftentimes you go into a discovery call With four or five quote unquote pain funnels in mind or buckets of questions that you want to ask people. A lot of reps go in with the same seven things they need to ask throughout a discovery call and it feels super cookie cutter. But then other calls just completely wander. And I don't think anyone's put together a great playbook on how to structure a discovery call without it being too structured. And so you talked about knowing what to sell or knowing what your objective is going into the meeting. But then how do you? Balance being overstructured in your disco with having a natural, free-flowing conversation.
2: So I'm gonna—I'm actually gonna tap another one of my mentors for this. His name's Jocko. He runs a, a training firm called Winning by Design. I think a lot of people have heard of Winning by Design. The Winning by Design team has developed this discovery framework. It's an acronym, like all things in SaaS sales tend to be acronyms. It's Spiced. Spiced stands for situational questions will lead to pain questions that will uncover the impact. After which you can talk about a critical event and then go to your decision criteria. And you think about that in order, you could ask a couple of really basic situational questions that should spit out the pain topic that you should have. And so the way that Jocko explained this to me is he said, most vendors have a limited number of value drivers. What are the ROI or the outcomes that your product can deliver? And so I'll give you an example that's really relevant to me. I just left my job at Chorus. And so Chorus is a call recording software and Chorus's customers use their product usually to shorten the onboarding time for new hires or to increase the win rate or revenue per person of veterans. So you think about it, I'm buying this call recording coaching platform. I'm either doing it because I'm going to hire a million people and I got to get them onboarded quick or I'm not in a hiring spree right now but I have this veteran sales team that's not productive enough. And so now I'm the seller at Chorus and I'm just meeting you for the first time. I could go on LinkedIn and see your employee growth and I could try to suss out, you know what I mean? I could look at that crunch base and see when you raised and I could try to figure out if you're hiring or not, or I could just ask you some really basic situational questions. How many reps do you have? Cool, how many are you gonna finish the year with? If the delta between what you have and what you'll finish with is 30% headcount growth, I'm gonna say, cool, how long does it take to get them onboarded? If the delta between how many reps you have and how many reps you're going to finish the year with is a 5% growth, I'm going to say, great. How many of those veteran reps hit their number last month? And so a situational question like how big is your team and how big is it going to be spits out whether the pain thread is employee growth or quota attainment. And you think about your business and your ROI or your value drivers and then back it out to like what's a really basic first question you, sh- you could ask that would immediately tell you what thread to start pulling on. I think that plus a little bit of smart research before the call, you should not have a ton of challenging calls in terms of identifying what pain point to pitch.
1: But you kind of said something interesting where it's like, you could spend a ton of time like trolling through LinkedIn to see, oh, are they posting job postings or did they raise a round? And like, that makes me think about, because I've been here before where I've completely over-researched for a call. And it's almost the opposite of what we talked about in the beginning, like knowing, Armand, you you call it perception management. When you've got that limited time and you're prepping for like a discovery call, like you're talking about, Armand, are there particular things you're looking at, doing, thinking about?
2: Yeah, of course. Of course there are. And and there should be for everyone. And, And to your point, like unlimited research or the more research you do does not necessarily equate to like the more successful your call will be. There is the law of diminishing returns. Doing no research is really bad. But it doesn't mean that having like the 50th mutual connection has any value at all, because there's no value in saying, and we also know this part, right? There's no value in that. And so Mark Possible is the head of sales at Outreach, and, and he and I have been friends for a while. And when I first bought Outreach for the first time, he told me this theory or this rule that they live by. It's called First is Best. And the application of First is Best was originally for outbound BDR emails, but it's applicable in this conversation as well. They took the top 10 signals that they would use for a cold outreach. You just raised around, you just hired a department head, you just doubled your BDR, whatever. These are the top reasons that we would cold call a company. And then they prioritized them in terms of which ones actually worked. And they told their BDRs, if I'm going to go research this business, start with the number one trigger. Does it exist? Yes or no. If no, go to trigger number two. Does it exist? Yes or no. As soon as you find one that applies, send the email. And they're saying the first trigger is the best trigger. So just use that unless it doesn't apply. And literally prioritize the pieces of research that you would use and just go until you have the answer that you need to get the conversation going. Same thing with a discovery call. What do I need to say to you to get you talking? That's the only research I need. How do you
0: balance? Let's say you get thrown into a room with three people in three different departments with three different jobs. And somehow you got to navigate a discovery with people who all have completely different competing intentions. Do you take the meeting at all? Do you try to dice it up? Like, How do you navigate that
2: situation? Yeah, you got to stand tall and you got to own your space. That's it. Every person on that call has a reason to be on that call. And if you know their roles, you should look them up ahead of time. Like They're on the invite. You go on LinkedIn, you find out what they do. And you ask yourself, why is that person involved in this sale? Hopefully, it's a role that you've sold to in the past. And if it's not, call it out in the first two seconds and say, hey, I never usually see CISOs on my call. So I'm really curious what brought you here today, right? And have that dialogue about why they're in the meeting. Okay, that's step one. There should be no people in the wrong place, right? It's respectful of you to explain, hey, you're in the wrong place right now. Go take this hour back and, and go do your job. So if you uncover why each person's in the meeting, rude is not the word. But it's like, be firm with what you know is required to run a proper meeting. We cannot do the sales value case and the IT Q&A. We cannot accomplish all four of those things in a 30 minute interaction. And so I'm going to ask you guys which ones we want to focus on in this call. And then I'm going to go on the legwork of getting in front of you, Armand, on Tuesday and you, Nick, next Friday. And I'll huddle back with the group and tell you what you said, but we can't do everything in 30 minutes. And so not doing that, is you not running the meeting it's you not giving good meeting and a lot of times as sellers we think of the power dynamic right the buyer is way up here and the seller is way down here in the power dynamic it's like police officer and traffic violator right it's like they're in charge and you're begging for another five minutes with them and so that dynamic in your subconscious forces you to agree to a bad agenda and what you need to do is you need to level up and be a, and I'm not talking to you, Armand, I know you're a pro, but I'm saying like the <laughs> listener, if you're running bad meetings, right, you need to up-level your confidence in yourself and you need to treat yourself like a professional and say, my job is to run this meeting the right way. And we will not get all of that done. So I'm going to now decide you two are meeting with me on Monday and the other two can finish this meeting right now or whatever the output is, but it really comes down to like actually owning the meeting and agreeing to what's going to get covered. And you should never find yourself in a mess like that because it should come out in the first five minutes. You can't get past the first five minutes unless you agree to the plan and the outcome. And no one would agree to a plan and an outcome that's four X as crowded as it could possibly be.
0: I think that's absolutely on point. And one of the things is you can hit on that in your agenda, to your point. Know your room, know who's gonna be in there. And I've gotten thrown into rooms with a CFO and then someone who's like a very low level analyst all in one. And I'm like, oh, shoot. And then I got someone from HR in the other corner. And you can literally, upon setting the agenda, is you can say, hey, the last thing I want to do is take the CFO through the depths of every single spreadsheet we could ever possibly export. And I'm sure the HR guy over here doesn't want to see that either. And so the goal of today is to figure out what you guys care about so I can show you more about what you guys care about in one-off conversations and make it seem like it's a win for them.
1: You've been saying this thing, Joe, about like having them agree to it also. And it's a little thing, but it's so easy to skip. Like I used to get on calls and be like, well, the purpose of today's call is to X." Like I'm halfway there to your PPO thing. I'd say the purpose of today's call is to do X. And then I'd get right into it. And they might be thinking, well, actually, I wanted to talk about these three other things. And unless you get them to say, yeah, like that's what we're here to do. We're talking about empathy in the beginning, right? We're talking about empathy in this crazy time. Well, there's empathy right there. How about you close your mouth for half a second and say, is there anything else you'd like to talk with me about today, Joe?
2: Nick, if you've never had a prospect disagree with the agenda, then you are not actually setting and agreeing to an agenda. Because think of how many calls you've had where you think it's about one thing, and then the call goes really poorly. Why would they show up to a discovery call if they didn't want to do discovery? Right. And you asked yourself that after. The reality is, they didn't think it was a discovery call. You did. You assumed it was a discovery call and you launched into a discovery call format without agreeing to it ahead of time. But maybe if you had really reviewed the agenda and agreed to it, they would have said, Nick, your BDR told me it was time for a demo or whatever, you know what I mean? Whatever the case might be. But by not really getting commitment on the agenda, you're glossing over the fact that you may have misaligned expectations as the meeting starts.
1: So you're saying somebody goes on my website, clicks book a demo, and then I show up and I'm ready to jump into discovery. Like Maybe I should have looked at my website's call to action first?
2: Yeah, maybe we should look at the different lead sources or SQO categories that you have, and then ask ourselves, like if somebody comes in from inbound demo request, versus BDR outbound cold call, what might their expectations be on this meeting? And how should I change the first five minutes accordingly? Or do I just show up to every meeting the exact same way, try to like goof around for a couple minutes and win them over, and then launch into a weird discovery? Which one do you think is going to be more effective there?
0: One other thing that I want to hit on is, you touched on it a little bit earlier, is a lot of times reps just They stop acting like humans in the conversation. And one of the things that you do is you'll look at a rep who seems to just be filling the space and you'll say, why'd you say that? Tell us a little bit more about that. What usually goes wrong with reps and how should people start to break some of the bad habits
2: there? Yeah. You know, Armand, it's funny, man. Like it's a real story that I'll ask people, why did you say that? And it's a little bit offensive. It's a little bit like, it kind of stuns them because you're literally saying, why did you do that? Right. But not in a mean way. I'm just saying, why did you say that? And you'll find more often than not, if you were to rewatch one of your calls, and every time you start a new topic or you decide to ask something, if you stop and say, why am I doing that? You might have a funny reaction. More often than not, you are placating to your own emotional well-being. You are not benefiting the client. And so what I mean is when you describe your company, when you describe what you're doing, like it's always like making excuses for your shortcomings or like explaining how you're starting to pick up. It's like, it's some weird inward talk track and it does not deliver value to the client. And so when you really break down a call, you might have 30 minutes. And if you're doing it right, it means you have 15 minutes of talk time, which means you probably have like seven main topics you can do. And so spend each of those seven main topics intelligently Don't waste any of those motions. Don't say anything unless it's designed to get a reaction that you need or deliver information that they need or progress the conversation in some way. Stop wasting time with how's the weather and all that stuff. Literally ask yourself, why did you bring that topic up in this limited time affair? Why did you ask that question? Why was that the detail of the company you chose to share? I hear people talk about like, oh, Acme was founded in this state and we have this many employees. And it's like, who gives a shit about either of those facts? Why did you say that? And so everything you introduce to a meeting, ask yourself, why would I bring that into a meeting? Why would I waste our collective time on that topic? I look for people that call them the yeah, yes, where before the other person's even finished talking, they're going, yeah, yeah. And what they want to do, right? So you think about why did you say that? When your client is making a point or, or making a statement, and by the time they're just finishing their sentence, you're going, yeah, yeah, you know what it's like, and you relate to it. And you ask yourself, why did you just do that, right? You did that because you think that you have to prove to them that you're intelligent and competent and like an expert in this space. So when they make a point, you're in such an eager rush to prove that you got it, that you're cutting them off and stopping them from sharing more information. And so what should be an opportunity for them to share? You should be creating space, creating silence like your, like your boss, right? Enabling them to fill that space with their intelligence. Instead, why did you say that? You interrupted them and cut them off because you thought you had to prove yourself to them, which is wrong. You're not the star of the show. It doesn't matter how much you get it. It matters that they get it, that they're motivated to fix it, and that they're booking next steps with you. So why did you say that? You said it to placate your own ego not to get more information or progress the sale.
0: I could keep riffing on this stuff forever, but now you got me self-conscious about doing the yeah, yes and fill (laughs) in the space too much. So we're going to end with one question right here. And the question that we always like to ask at the end is reps are doing a lot of great things, but then there are a lot of bad habits out there and you just talked about one of them. And so what's the one thing that reps need to stop doing that's holding them back from being successful today?
2: Awesome. Reps need to stop asking the one person that they're meeting with if they can have a deal, right? Reps need to stop hoping that the person they're meeting with will be their champion that will carry them through the rest of the process. Reps need to start interviewing the person and the company as aggressively as they're being interviewed. So when I take a discovery call, I'm not begging you for anything. I'm interviewing to suss out if your business needs my help. And if it does, who else I should be talking to? And if there's a real project behind the scenes there, I don't actually care if the first person I meet with becomes my buyer and my champion or not. The first person I meet with is the first person I meet with. The company is the one that's going to pay me. And so reps need to stop praying and stop intentionally single threading themselves with the first person who shows up to a disco. They need to start asking themselves if that business could benefit and who they need to talk to next. Win the first person over, become friends, be a professional, be respectful, provide value, and get multi-threaded quickly and help companies solve problems and stop praying that the next person you meet is a buyer.
0: Unbelievable. Joe, way to drop the fire right at the end, my man. This has been an absolute pleasure. Any last things you wanna leave with the audience?
2: Yeah, come find me on LinkedIn, I'm Joe Caprio. Go to getreprise.com, I'm on Twitter, it's JoeCap Software. You can tell I'm a total nerd and a freak for this stuff, and I just love talking about it. So come and find me. Connect with me.
0: Absolutely. Go reach out to Joe, everybody, and stay tuned for a 60-second recap email coming up right after this. Cheers. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts. Again, yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with RocketReach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes.
1: steal them.
0: Your top four takeaways from the episode with Joe Caprio include the first, which is how building rapport is really done right by getting right into the agenda with a purpose plan and objective for the call instead of all the BS schmoozing that you see with most sales reps. The second point is that if you haven't had a buyer disagree with your agenda before, then you haven't actually set an agenda by letting the prospect buy in. The third is that you need to identify the top four reasons a company would buy and use that as your research when you're prospecting. And if none of those top four reasons exist in the first place, then you probably should question whether or not you even reach out. And then lastly, we rounded up by saying, hey, stop filling the space with all the unnecessary words or finishing your prospect
2: sentences too early to placate your own personal insecurities. Nick, how can people help us
1: out here? Guys, thanks for listening. Most podcasts usually ask you to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. We're not most podcasts, so we're only going to ask you to do one thing. The number one thing you can do to help 30 Minutes to President's Club is to subscribe to us. So please click that button, subscribe, and we'll see you on the next show. Boom. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way, your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes.
0: Gong's going to help you run the five minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, Pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step.
2: And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90 Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes.